I want you to think for a moment about someone you truly love, someone you deeply love, not just have affection for, but it's a deep and abiding love. Now imagine someone to say to you, well, why do you love this person? Or, you know, prove it to me. How do you know you love this person? How would you begin to answer that? It's not an easy answer. You just sort of know it, right? You, you can't necessarily point to any one thing individually. It's a process, maybe, of developing that love, but you just know that it's there. And there's certain things you appreciate, definitely, but you can't really define it necessarily. You can't say, this is the proof of why I love this person. But now let's flip it around. Think of someone you don't love so much. And I know there's no one in this room who would ever use a word like hate to apply to them, but I'm more than happy to do that. I'm not a proud of it, but there certainly have been times in my life where I would use that word. Not a good thing at all. But even if you're not that far, if you just think of someone that it's really difficult to be with, someone that it's really hard to wish good things for, someone that you'd rather not see or even spend a moment in their presence. More likely than not, if someone said, well, tell me, why is it so difficult for you to be with that person? Or, God forbid, why do you hate that person? Not always, but almost certainly, they could begin to tick off moments because they did this to me. Because there was that time on that day, and maybe it was last week, maybe it was 10 years ago, where this thing happened. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said about me? Oftentimes, when we've got that strong feeling of revulsion, we can name it. We can define it. We can say, this is how we got here. This is when it happened. This is how it happened. I've never forgotten it, and I'm never going to forget it. It's interesting how we can enumerate reasons for why we're angry or feel even hateful towards someone else. But when you talk about love, it's this kind of sweet process. And that's not to say there are moments, wonderful moments, where you kind of advance. But if you said to someone, no, give me seven defining moments where your love for this person was unquestionably established. And so I'm not surprised when Peter goes up to Jesus. And Jesus has said a lot of times, love one another as I've loved you. He's heard that many times. But he doesn't go up to Jesus and say, well, how many times should I love my neighbor? That's not the way we talk to other people. Lots of weddings have been celebrated before this altar. I've never once heard something added to the vows. I, Harry, take you, Sally, to be my wife. I promise to be true to you seven times. No, 77 times. Okay, fine. You gladly, willingly just embrace that, whatever it might look like. But when Peter goes to Jesus, he doesn't say, how many times should I love the person that I love? He says, how many times should I forgive, right? He's counting, enumerating. Do I got to do it this many times or that many times? Because, man, I can name every single time. I can count them off. I remember the moment, I remember the situation. And so Jesus says 77 times, okay. But the point being, not so much what is Jesus' answer, but what is Peter's question? How many times do I have to do this? 
And why? Why the difference? Why do we sort of so sweetly allow ourselves to slide into love? And we so viciously hold on to the moments of hatred or anger. And I think a key is right there in the language we use. Why do you hold on to that anger? It's the beginning of our first reading, very beautifully proclaimed. Does the sinner hold on to anger and wrath? I don't know if you notice the word, it's actually hugs. When was the last time you hugged someone? Who did you hug most recently? When's the last time you hugged your anger? Well, as weird as that sounds, a lot of times we do it. I know I certainly do. And why do you hold on to something? Because it gives you a sense of stability. It gives you a sense of groundedness. And as bizarre as it sounds, we can hold on to anger or wrath because at least it gives some semblance of control. I hold on to something when I'm afraid of just spiraling off into chaos. So holding on to anger. It's not because we're angry people. Nobody rolled out of bed in the morning and said, how can I be angry and miserable today? But it can be incredibly disorienting to live in the world of forgiveness. As soon as you extend forgiveness to another person, you've given up a lot of control. You have no idea how they're going to receive it. You might make a fool of yourself. What if they manipulate your trust? Who knows where that's going to go? And that can be a scary place to be, to hold on to anger, to hold on to resentment. There's a reason why we do it. It serves a purpose, even if ultimately it doesn't make us any more at peace. Because there's this lie in our ears, a lie that says, if you don't give that up, you're going to be okay. If you give it up, you have no idea where it's going to go. Don't risk it. It's safer here. Just hold on to it. Keep that person in their place, keep yourself in your place, and everything will be just fine. There's other people you can go to to feel better. Let that person stay in their unforgiven box because they hurt you once. And if you let them out of that box, they might do it again and even do it worse. And if that were always the way it would be, then of course we'd never forgive anyone. But I think we know deep down that's not the way it always works. Every one of us in this room have had moments of the freedom that comes with asking for or extending forgiveness. But there's always going to be cases where that seems not so clear, where the hurt is so bad, where the intimacy is so ruptured, where the trust is so betrayed. That it's almost like in our humanity we can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to release control there. So maybe as a little spiritual exercise, as we go into this next week of ordinary time, is don't think so much about, oh Lord, help me be more forgiving. Of course, we know that's what we should do. But if it were that easy, we'd do it all the time. Maybe instead ask yourself, where am I afraid of losing control? Where are the relationships where I'm afraid, frankly, of taking that step into the unknown? the step of vulnerability, the step of trust, the step of opening up the box into which everything has very neatly been kept, maybe pushed and squashed, but still it's in there. And with brutal honesty, to just say, you know, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm afraid of this. 
I don't know if I really can let go. I don't know if I can risk spiraling into the uncertainty. And then around that relationship, that area, that situation, that thing you'd enumerate, this is number six of my seven times, to pray for grace. Grace matters. It's not just our human effort, as important as that is. But grace doesn't just come magically through turning up in church. Grace of the sacraments is real but it's also meant to be brought into the everydayness of our lives. And what that grace can do, how it can make a difference, is maybe this is the week to look that person in the eye and just say, can we talk? To look that person in the eye and say, I know how we got here and so do you, and it's okay if we go back. It's one thing to remember the moment, the date, the time, exactly what was said, exactly the tone of voice in which they said it. And it's another thing to remember all of that, but then to say it's not frozen or locked in time. And as that begins to thaw, let's just sort of ease into whatever comes next. Might be difficult, almost certainly will be challenging, but there's a reason why we say we fall into love and yet we bitterly remember those punctuated, focused moments where we don't fall into hatred, but we're almost thrust into it, frozen into it, locked into it, as if somebody has just put their stake in the ground and said, this is where trust died. It's not easy, it's an invitation, but it's real. And as Jesus has that little exchange with Peter, all he's really doing is saying just that in so many words. We don't enumerate our love, and neither should we enumerate the challenges to it.